you can have your Bibles open to that passage, that would be great. And let's pray as we come to hear God's word. Lord, we thank you that there is tremendous power in your word that has created the universe. And it's created each one of us and sustains us. And we pray that your word will once again go forth from your mouth to all of us. Build us up. Help us to set our minds and, and, and eyes on you. Help these words to shape the way that we live our lives so that it may bring glory to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when President Obama was elected four years ago, Onion ran this satirical headline, Black Man Given Nation's Worst Job. It went on. Um, African-American man Barack Obama, 47, was given the least desirable job in the entire country Tuesday when he was elected the President of the United States. In his new high-stress, low-reward position, Obama will be charged with such tasks as complete overhauling of the nation's broken-down economy, repairing the crumbling infrastructure, and generally having to please more than 300 million Americans. And it ends with uh, these lines. Said scholar activist Mark Denton, it just goes to show you that in this country, a black man still can't catch a break. (laughs) Well, he was elected um, once again. It hasn't gotten that much better, so let's do pray for him. There are so many reasons why I would never want to be the president of anything. President of the United States is one of them. Uh, But I would love to be the president for a couple of reasons. I would love to find out about all the things uh, that's going on in the world that you only have access to if you're the president of the United States. For example, I wonder, I often wonder how dangerous this world actually is. I wonder about all the secret operations that are going on all around the world. For example, there's this book uh, written um, just about a year ago, Confront and Conceal. In this book, the author revealed that Obama administration has been engaged in this um, secret war. Well, there is a war going on between Iran and, and, and U.S., but the book reveals that um, this, this war is being carried out in the daily life. This is one presidential advisor called this um, state of low-grade daily conflict state-of-low-grade daily conflict going on. So Iran, Iraq, I mean, Iran, U.S., um, and there's public feud, but daily, constantly, there's something going on between the two countries. For example, this book said that Israel and U.S. sought to insert this virus into the um, uh, uranium enrichment uh, facilities in Iran. In the virus, what it did was it recorded the normal functions of the, uh, uh, of the machines, and while playing back the normal functions, destroyed all the calibrations and all the things that are going on. So they had no idea that this was happening. They couldn't figure out why this wasn't functioning. It tells stories of other places too, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Arab Springs, China, North Korea. I guess what I'm saying is there is a whole hidden world of battle going on just below the surface. We don't see it. We sometimes hear about it, especially with these drone strikes that are going on in Pakistan. But for the most part, it doesn't feel like it's going on. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's affecting our lives. Our lives go on cleanly, as if nothing is happening. We seldom feel the effects of these hidden battles. 
But that's the deceptive thing about these hidden battles, isn't it? It's going on. It's going constantly. And they do affect our lives. And so much is at stake. And I want to say that the spiritual battle is such a battle. And it resembles the war in Iraq, uh, war in Iran, in that it's low-grade daily conflict. It happens every day. And that's why we're told to put on the armor of God today in verse 12. Because our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realm. This spiritual battle is real. Some of you won't need any convincing as you might have grown up in this place or other places where spiritual realities were, were treated as, as, as just as real as the, uh, the, the material realities. But I think some of us here are maybe embarrassed when Christians mention Satan and demons and the spiritual battles that are going on in this world. Many Christians have explained these things away. These rulers, authorities, powers are explained away as dark institutions of this world, like slavery, sexism, even governments. And I'm aware that there are governments, authorities, and rulers of this world that really function as an extension, I think, of Satan's uh, work. For example, um, the, the, the country of Guinea-Bissau in East Africa, uh, they, they just had a coup, and, and they officially traffic drugs. That's what they do now. And I want to acknowledge that there are institutions in this world that are evil. And behind many institutions in this world, evil forces are at work. However, this isn't talking about just these institutions, human-made institutions. It would be very difficult to make sense out of verse 12, right? At the end, the last phrase, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is about Satan. This is about his war. This is about this, this world um, and the battles, hidden battles that are going on. And some say, and we often hear this, um, that the greatest trick that the devil has ever pulled was to convince the world that he doesn't exist. And he seems to make perfect sense to me that uh, this is his perfect scheme. And he's a schemer, as we hear in verse 11. It makes sense because, that the, because the world that does not believe in the evil one, the world that does not believe in Satan, the world that does not believe in the spiritual forces, it just as easily would forget about God. It's just as easy to believe. If you don't believe in Satan, it's not that big of a jump not to believe in God. It seems like a perfect scheme. And if you also stop to think about it, it's not a big of a stretch to, to, to believe that this is real. Satan is real. Just think about the extraordinary evil in the world. Yes, our hearts are corrupt. There, there are evil institutions. But the culture, every single culture seems to have experienced something that is deeper than the evils of our hearts. They have all personified evil some ways. Satan is, you know, in some form, exists in every culture. I've been reading this book about these fundamentalist Mormons, uh, Mormon brothers who killed 
who murdered their brother's wife and their infant baby. Cold-blooded murder. They slit their throats. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. We see ruthless murder and rape, incest, trafficking of children, just exceeding greed all over this world. And I'm not, I don't want to excuse per, people's personal responsibilities, but it doesn't take much, to, much imagination to think that there is some evil in this world that's influencing all of us and the affairs of this world. And I'm sure you have met people who have the fragrance of Christ. You meet them, and then you know that Christ is at work in their lives. But there are others. There are others who make you freeze, who make you shudder with their exceeding depravity. And if, I, if, I, if we took a survey, I'm sure there are experiences of evil here in this room as well. People who have ex- experienced the dark forces at work in this world. But most of all, I believe in the evil spirits. That, that, that it's waging war uh, in this world because Jesus believed it. Because exorcism was an integral part of Jesus' ministry. It was an, exorcism was a, one of the major signs that the kingdom of God has arrived. When they saw Jesus, and they shuddered. And I can't be embarrassed to believe in the thing that Jesus believed. So we must believe in this struggle against the spiritual forces of evil in our daily lives, that it is being waged. And the reality of this is not like uh, remote bombings, um, uh, 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 modern warfare with missiles that, that are going on from, uh, from afar. This battle is a struggle, and that struggle, it, it's, it's more like a wrestling match. It's up close and personal. The devil whispers lies in our ears. He lures our eyes away from godly things into evil things. He inflames our discontent and makes it into anger he corrupts our appreciation of good things and make it into evil things. He makes good things of this world and make it into idols in our lives. This struggle is a wrestling match that we must wrestle with every day. And the truth is that we are all hopeless when it comes to this wrestling match against the evil one. I told you I wrestled a long time ago. One of the things about wrestling is that you match, you wrestle, you, you, you wrestle against people who, uh, who are in your own weight class. Because even five pounds make a huge difference. If you're ten pounds uh, over, overweight and ten pounds of muscle, that makes a huge difference. Our struggle against the, the Satan, we have no hope on our own because Satan is crafty. He's the schemer, as we hear. He's also powerful. You, you caught that word power. In verse 12, powers of this dark world. And on our own, we would have no hope against this constant war against this crafty, powerful, and evil enemy. But I want to say that we fight this war with complete confidence. Look at Paul's exhortation at the very beginning of our passage. Finally, be strong. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
This exhortation brims with confidence. We're not left alone. God is with us. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty powers. Put on the full armor of God. And we mustn't... Satan is powerful, but we, we can't, we shouldn't exaggerate his power. And we mustn't have this paranoia about Satan. The Bible, Bible does not describe a world filled every single corner lurking with, with, with Satan. In fact, when the New Testament talks about Satan, it talks about Satan for two reasons. One, first to tell us that Satan and the evil one has been defeated. He's a defeated enemy. And secondly, that we shouldn't be fooled. We shouldn't be uh, deceived by his lies. Evil has been defeated through Christ. His cross and then his resurrection. His biggest weapons of guilt and sin and death has been taken away. And he's been exposed as a fraud he, 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 he said that he, would, he, he, he uh, wields this power over this world, but when Christ resurrected from death and rose again as the king, he exposes Satan as a fraud. His power was usurped. And Christ has risen to reveal that fraud, that lie, that lies. The world is Jesus's. Satan has been defeated. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty powers. Don't be paranoid. Don't think about Satan's work all the time as if it, might, it, it should control you. It doesn't. Christ rules over this world. We can even mock him because he's without teeth, his weapon. I know this is an overused example, but I think it's an appropriate, appropriate one. The example of World, world War II. As you know, the turning point of the Second World War was the D-Day. It was called the Operation Overlord that happened on 6th of, July, I mean, 6th of June 1944, beginning at 6.30 a.m. The Allied forces executed the largest amphibious, amphibious invasion in the world history. Over 160,000 troops have landed in the 50-mile stretch of Normandy, more than 5,000 ships, 13,000 aircrafts supported this invasion. On that day, the forces of about 100,000 soldiers began to march across Europe against Hitler. At that point, all intents and purposes, this war was over. Hitler was outmanned, outgunned. Um, It was only a matter of time that he was going to crumble. And the resurrection day, Easter day, is our D-Day. For all intents and purposes, we find that the war is over. Satan himself The deceiver is deceived, and Jesus rises again. The one who killed, who was killed, is risen again, and Satan is exposed as a liar. The threat of sin and guilt and death could no longer be wielded as his weapon, as Christians are freed from that fear. Jesus reveals himself as the creator and the ruler and the one who will come again to judge. But, just because D-Day happened... Hitler didn't just lay down his arms and said, okay, I I lost. He continued to fight. And Satan continues to fight. Though the battle is still going on in this world, 
And that's why we have to put the armor of Christ on. We have to continue fighting the battle, knowing that Satan is defeated. Think about um, just the trillions of dollars um, putting on, that, that's put on defense budget in the U.S. and China and other countries. Hong Kong people, it seems to me, are also very careful people. Um, whenever your kids, I'm sure, go out, you put a little helmet on, um, make sure that he doesn't fall. But we don't often think about this battle that's going on and the spiritual helmet and the armors that we are supposed to put on. But before we go uh, further, I want to um, say that, you know, the, str- the, the language here is martial and it's strong. Um, but there, this is in no way is a call for violence of any kind. Crusaders were wrong. Fundamentalists that move to, uh, the, the, um, to, are moved to violence are wrong, are decidedly unchristian. Our text says for, uh, very clearly that our battle is against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And if this call for the spiritual armor is anything, it's to put on the armors of Christ, to be more like Christ. It's called to be more like God. In fact, this language comes straight from the Old Testament where the armors is God's armor. So this is Isaiah 59, 17. I'll just read it to you. He put on the righteousness as breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. Uh, the breastplate of righteousness, the salvation uh, um, helmet is God's. In fact, there's power in these armors because they're God's armors who, uh, that that is shared with us. And we must wear them at all times because we are in this battle at all times. So let's look at, um, at the armors. In verse 14, the belt of truth. This truth probably refers to the gospel truth that's been given to us, but also our faithful response to that truth, faithfulness to God, truthfulness um, in our actions. Everything that the truth that we have received hold us up. Um, This is the basis of our fight against, uh, against Satan. We're then also asked to put the breastplate of righteousness Once again, this is probably the righteousness of God that Christ has won for us and are given to us, but also the righteousness of life that we live in response to what God has done for us. And then there's the shoes, the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And this comes from Isaiah 52, 7, isn't it? it? Uh, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. The gospel readiness that continues to go out to our family and friends and neighbors um, and proclaim the gospel. This is part of the, God's, uh, the, the Christian's complete armor. This isn't something that special people do. Evangelism is not some special Christians who are equipped with special gifts do. This is something that all Christians are to wear. In addition to these, take up the shield of faith. This, of course, is a reference to the long, sort of long and big shield that cover your entire body. 
I'm told that they're often soaked in water before battle, so that when the flaming arrows come, they'll be extinguished. And think of the flaming arrows of the evil one, verse 16. The constant daily battle into which Satan draws you in. Guilt, doubt, disobedience, rebellion, malice, anger, fear, just drudgery. We're told that we can stand our ground against all these because of the shield of faith. I want to make a little point here. This, this, this faith, shield of faith, isn't about the, the intensity of your faith. It's not about the strength of your faith, but the object of faith. Whether you are a 50-year-old Christian who's, who's gone through all sorts of ups and downs of life, or whether your faith has just begun yesterday, it's not the strength and the intensity of faith uh, with which you believe. It's actually whom you believe that matters, uh, that, that, that makes all the difference. It's not, the, it's the faith, uh, faith protects you because it's faith in Jesus Christ. It's because you trust in Jesus. That's what protects you. I, when I was younger, when I was in high school some, at some point, I used to have these dreams when I was chased by demons in my dreams. I was deathly afraid of, um, that I was going to die. Um, but then I understood at one point God's grace and God's love for me. And at the end, I realized that I wasn't, I wasn't afraid of dying anymore. I wasn't afraid of my guilt I wasn't afraid of my sin anymore because Christ has saved me. And it wasn't the intensity of my belief that drove this away. My faith became strong because I believed in Jesus, because I trusted Christ, because, because of the object of my faith, not because of the intensity of my faith. Christ defeated death. Christ saved us. He rose again, and he intercedes on our behalf even now. I think this is also what he means when Paul says, put on the helmet of salvation. Our minds, if if they're set on Christ, we can face this battle. Satan is very good at mind games. He's very good at planting doubt into your head. He's very good at um, putting little seeds of discontent or anger or just um, whispering lies into your ears. But we need to set our minds on salvation of Christ, salvation that we have received and salvation that we will receive in, in in, in the second coming of Christ. And finally, take up the sword of, of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, verse 17. And unlike all other weapons uh, that have been defensive, this one is offensive. This isn't something like thrown like a javelin, though, um, to fight against a distant enemy. This is a short sword, like a dagger, um, for hand-to-hand combat. It's to be used in our daily struggle, wrestling against the evil one. And it is the word of God. Scripture animated by the Spirit of God. You know, when Jesus was tempted, he quoted Scripture back to Satan. 
And it's clear that Jesus committed much of Scripture into his memory. Is that what we're doing? Even today, we see the Word of God working powerfully. Do you, do you have Scripture memorized? Do you read Scripture? Do you wake up, you know, when the lies go on every day, do you whisper Scripture to your mind? Do you proclaim the gospel to yourself? It will make all the difference in the way that you live when you have committed Scripture to your mind and when you're proclaiming the Bible again and again to yourself. Are we equipped with God's Word? This is an offensive weapon, offense weapon um, against Satan that we can use in our daily lives. There's a commentator, Leon Morris, who said that you can slip into sin. You can easily slip into sin, but you cannot slip into righteousness. We must constantly remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel, of the righteousness of Christ, of the good news of the gospel of peace, and daily commit our lives to trust in Jesus and preach the gospel to ourselves each day with the words of Scripture. You can drift into sin, but you will not be able to drift into righteousness. Finally, picture a man who is thoroughly equipped with all these armors. Helmet, breastplates, um, belt, uh, shoes, uh, weapon, uh, the, the sword and the shield. He's ready for war. Uh, his, his, his shield is soaked in water. Picture the evil one hurling, hurling these flaming arrows against him and running after him. And then picture then this man bracing himself and getting ready to face this Satan, this evil one. And then picture this man closing his eyes and just praying. That's how he fights this battle, isn't it? This is how the verse goes. The next verse in verse 18, and pray. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. There are four alls here. Pray on all occasions. Pray all kinds of prayers. Pray always. That works in Greek, but not in English. Always. And pray for all people. There's not a situation in this world not a situation that you don't need to pray. There is not a, 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 there's not a situation where some sort of prayer, whether it's, it be confession or adoration or intercession or petition, praise, where some sort of prayer is not appropriate. There's not a time when a prayer is not necessary. Pray always. There's not a single person in this world that doesn't need prayer, including, including yourself. Pray for all people. Whatever you do, pray. This is how we fight against, this is how we fight our battles. Life is a battle and we need to pray. Even the best soldiers, equipped with the best, um, trained in the best way, equipped the best armor, with the best armors, need prayers. Look at Paul. Look at what Paul asks. Paul's request is, pray also for me. 
Saint Paul needed prayers. And this war is also ours. And we cannot fight it alone. We have to remember that the armor of God is God's. That this is God's armor and the battle is God's. And this is, uh, we, are, the, are, uh, we need to depend on God as we fight this battle. But finally, think about what Paul prays for. Verse 19, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. That's the definite aim and purpose and the purpose of Paul's life. To declare the gospel as ambassador of Christ. But that's the, that's the aim given to all of us, to each one of you. To declare the gospel faithfully, fearlessly, clearly in the way that you live and in your speech as ambassadors of Christ. So that Christ may be glorified. Remember, this battle is low-grade, daily, constant battle that you face. Remind yourself that there is a battle going on each day when you wake up. Take, when you take a shower, when you take your showers in the morning, think about the battle that you're about to fight. Look to God. Equip yourselves with these armors. And pray. Always for all people in all situations, for all kinds of prayers, so that God will be glorified. Amen.